A little more than a week ago, Brendan Radley Hiles, Buki, entered the transfer portal. Lincoln Riley talked about it a couple of days later on what used to be the original National Signing Day, and Riley said that he hopes Buki is not done yet at OU. Of course, just because you enter the portal doesn't mean you've got to leave, and if Buki doesn't find a school that he believes will be an upgrade for him over Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley will welcome him back with open arms. As of this recording, mid-afternoon on Tuesday, February the 9th, Buki has not yet made a decision, at least publicly. All of you have your own opinions on Buki, and if you've been listening to this show for a while, you probably know where Grant and I stand on number 44. We're going to talk about him today and hopefully bring some thoughts and takes to the table that are a little different than what you've heard from the rest of OU media and fans the past week. Further, I'm going to hold back some of my thoughts on Buki today because, well, I'm currently in the middle of a long-form project. I'm going back and re-watching all of Oklahoma's games since the start of 2018. That was Buki's freshman year. My goal by this podcast was to get through all of 2018, but unfortunately, I still have a few games to go. The purpose of this experiment is that I want to make sure that my general opinions and thoughts about Buki aren't being unfairly molded by a handful of plays that I've stuck in my head over the past three years. Every single game, I'm watching Buki play-by-play. I'm grading him on plays that are good, bad, did he miss a tackle, and finally, was that a missed chance? I'll explain more as we go on later in the show. Now, the last game I watched before this podcast was the Bedlam game from 2018, You all remember how that one ended. Taylor Cornelius, the quarterback for Oklahoma State, short-armed a throw to Tylen Wallace on a two-point conversion try. Oklahoma won the game by a single point, and the Sooners were lucky to come out of that one on top. Now, after watching that contest and most of the games back from 2018, it's absolutely incredible how far Oklahoma's defense has come in the last two years under Alex Grinch. Guys, However you remember that 2018 Sooners defense, let me tell you, that team, that defense was actually worse than what you remember. It was embarrassing to rewatch Taylor Cornelius carve up Oklahoma secondary. The defensive game plan in that game was atrocious. Trey Norwood, he was lit up all day by Tylen Wallace, but nobody in the secondary played well. In fact, the only person that had somewhat of a good game against Oklahoma State was Neville Gallimore. I sent Grant a couple pictures of Oklahoma's alignment during that game, just kind of laughing at him, and I'll ask Grant about that here in a moment. Plus, of course, we'll talk Buki. Eric Gray officially joins Oklahoma, and we'll hit on whatever else comes to mind. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of West of Everest. Like the show on the West of Everest Facebook page. Leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes if you so wish. You can follow Grant on Twitter at GrantBenson25. Follow me on Twitter at LeeBensonNews9. And thank you to all of you out there who left us comments and questions recently on the Facebook page. We're going to take a look at those comments later on in the show and see where that takes us. So for the first time today, let's welcome in Grant. What's going on? Not much, Lee. I'm actually uh, not in my usual spot. I am. Uh, I'm at a family friend's house. I'm dog sitting for all of February, so I have a nice little uh, golden retriever poodle, kind golden of like doodle. watching me every move that I make. I love him so much. He's the best. 
and also you're uh, you're an idiot and you forgot your your laptop charger. So I, we're. Uh, I currently yeah. have fifty seven percent on my laptop, so we have a very hard out on this podcast. But we'll. Uh, yeah. So for the first time, yeah, in a while we have like a true hard out. It's technological. <laughs> You don't have to go and be a guest on another show or anything. You just uh, we're literally will not be able to do any more podcasting. All that all that means is we're probably going to have to save our our NFL thoughts, maybe our Super Bowl thoughts for another time is, is probably what's going to have to happen. Well, that's fine. Uh, so real quick, I actually have not even this doesn't matter to the listeners because it's not going to seem that way, but I haven't even recorded my opening take yet. So I'll do that after the show. But uh, I have the, the script of it that I don't, you, I'm not sure if you, if you read it at all. But I, I referenced the 2018 season. And we're going to talk about Buki here in a little bit, entering the transfer portal. But uh, I was texting the other day because I'm going back and rewatching all of Buki's games. And that's a lot of football games. And I'm almost through 2018. Unfortunately, I fell behind and didn't get through the entire season before this podcast. But uh, I got through the Bedlam game, and the Bedlam game was absolutely just it's hilarious. In, in hindsight, you look back and like, my God, like, like we knew it was bad at the time. But uh, I'm guessing you haven't watched back that game in a while. Whatever you remember about that Bedlam game, it was actually worse than what you remember. I, I will promise you that. <laughs> I no, I actually, I, I, I mean, I remember it being terrible. Like, didn't Oklahoma State average nearly like ten yards a play? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I mean. Probably, but I mean, Oklahoma averaged more. I mean, they had way more yards against Oklahoma State. Yeah, that. But, uh, I good on you for going back and rewatching the defense in 2018. Like, I, I just no, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> just no way. That 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 season was, and I'm, that season wasn't painful. That season was kind of fun because Kyler was awesome and Hollywood and CD and that entire offense and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, that's you know. That's a defense that I would really like to forget. And I, I mean, that's not a hot take like at all. Yeah. And, and I sent you a picture and we won't belabor the point, but it was uh, there, <laughs> there was like a third down and three. <laughs> and uh, Oklahoma State's got like, I think, trips to the field side and a single receiver to the boundary. And the single receiver is being covered by the corner who I, it was Trey Norwood or Trey Brown. I don't know. And they're playing about 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. <laughs> and there's, I think Ronnie Perkins was kind of like playing either a hybrid end position or maybe it was even Caleb Ronnie Kelly, was, I think, maybe as the Jack linebacker. I don't Ronnie know. was so playing like was Jack one, by that time in 2018. Really? Yeah, so it was, it was those two players, and there was one single receiver. <laughs> and everyone knows Oklahoma doesn't play any man coverage. I mean, they've been playing <laughs> soft zone all day. And I texted you. I mean, I, I took a picture of it because it's just it's a receiver with 10 yards of cushion with no help. And it's only third and three. They need three yards. And so I, I, cir I circled the picture and, and sent it to you and said a, a freaking JV quarterback would be able to diagnose what to do on this play. And exactly what you expect happens. Taylor Cornelius takes a snap and just throws it over to I think it was Dylan Stoner or um, uh, I, I'm blanking on one of the receivers who transferred for Oklahoma State uh, after the end of the last year. It was one of them. It was like one of their secondary guys who just ran like a quick little like the ball was snapped and he went into the flats and said, hey, yeah, I'm open. And Taylor Cornelius was like, yeah, you are open and threw it to him. And he picked up 10 yards. <laughs> I mean, it was just like this is like how is this happening at the highest level of Division One college football? And not just like this isn't uh, the Sun Belt or the, the AAC. I mean, this is Big 12 Power Five football. And this wasn't the first game 
that Ruffin McNeil was a defensive coordinator. I mean, this was game four, game four or five of Ruffin McNeil. And he, I think after that game, we were talking about how, well, keeping it simple ended up being uh, – horribly wrong for Oklahoma because it was very simple for the other teams too to see what they were doing and man it was just it was atrocious and I also went back and listened to our podcast at the time to see what we were saying and um yeah it was um about what I, you'd expect but. I just yeah I mean I I definitely remember the second half of that season and me just kind of always saying I, it was a tradition. It, it's kind of seemed like on every podcast, you know, following the week, I, I would just come on and say, and, and say, God, that was a garbage football game. It was so awful. And I, I remember that about them going to Lubbock against Texas Tech. That was a terrible game. Uh, Bedlam was awful. Uh, the West Virginia game was fun, but that game was a complete joke also. Uh, that, like it's Oh, and you're forgetting uh, right after Bedlam, and this is the next game I have on my rewatch, that Kansas game. Yeah. Kansas had like Kansas 600 yards of offense. <laughs> oh my god! Um, it's, I, and like, so I, I, it's it's just I, I and um I think in your opening take you're going to talk about it. Just just kind of shows you how much how much progress this defense has made over the last couple seasons. But just think about 2018. I mean that that was that was absolutely one of the five worst defenses in college football. And like I, I cannot believe I'm saying that. Um, yeah. And yeah. then with pretty much the exact same personnel, uh, Alex Grinch turned that OU team into like a top 35, top 40 defense in one offseason. Um, and then, you know, last year, pro- I mean, probably a, this past season, probably a top 15 unit uh, on, on a good day. Like a top 20 de- I'd say you know, a top 20 defense. You I, think I so? Think top 20? Yeah. I think I kind mean, of like on the fringe. Playing- yeah. yeah. I mean, the Big 12 was down, but then again, bowl season made the Big 12 look really good, <laughs> actually. Uh, but, you know, that only means so much. I mean, it, it's one of those things where it, if it goes well for your, your conference, you, you pump it up, but then if it doesn't, you're like, eh. It's this just season was weird, much. though. Like, I, I know what yeah. you mean, because the Big 12 was not good this year, but really kind of when you dig in deep to it, pretty much every, com- uh, every conference had was good at the top and then below it, it sucked. It was essentially how college football worked this season. So and lastly, before we move on to talk just uh, about Buki um, putting, going in the transfer portal, I have been listening back to our old episodes from 2018 after each game to see what we were saying because I was curious on what we were saying about Buki um, at the time because that, again, like he's, you've heard it a million times by now. If you're an Oklahoma fan, he's the most polarizing player in a while, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I was going back and listening, and, and it's interesting that you know, early in the year, I made the comment, I think after, you know, probably before FAU, which is the season opener, and even, you know, after that game, the UCLA game, which was game two, I, I kept hyping up the secondary. I kept talking about how I think it's the best <laughs> position group on the team. They have the most talent. And then by the time that Bedlam game happened, <laughs> I, 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 I listened back to the podcast. And I said, yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and walk it all back and apologize because, nope, the secondary is the worst unit on the team they are terrible they are so bad and so um to transition into the buki talk again i I talked about it in the opening take a little bit but uh, a little over a week ago he enters a transfer portal as of this recording has not made a decision yet at least publicly as far as uh, it goes he's still on oklahoma and lincoln riley said that he would welcome him back if if buki can't find a place to go um but at you know going back to 2018 uh, we were very high on him very high on him and then 
uh, as the, the season went on, not as high, but, and we can get back to this later on, the, the main thing that I want to be courteous to him about is that it wasn't just, it's not like he had a, a bad year and everybody else was really good in 2018. The entire secondary was atrocious in 2018. They were, it was bad. So it's almost like the, 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 the shortcomings that he had at times, and I, I can go into more details um, later on if, if you want. I'm not sure how many details you want, but probably a few. The shortcomings he had, I mean, you could point to anybody else. I bet I could go back and watch Trey Norwood, Justin Broyles, Trey Brown, and I could find out just as many uh, negative things, some positive things. It was just it, just, it was a reminder of how bad 2018 was. So, Just like, just kind of add a little start. more context about the 2018 secondary. The best player in that secondary the entire season was Robert Barnes. Actually, guy who couldn't Barnes even get on the field was fine, in 2020. Yeah. He didn't play all that much. He, kind of middle of the year, he started playing a little bit more than he did the start of the year because they were clearly trying to figure out things back there. Um, he was definitely the best tackler. And I'm at the point of the year, I haven't noticed a lot of Delarian Turner yell. I don't think DTY played a lot. He didn't play really at all. His, season. He kind of had like baptism by fire in Morgantown. Is like when he first got a lot of run. Oh, and that yeah, just, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because... Because in one of our podcasts, the uh, post-Kansas State podcast, I was listening to it, and we both talk about how uh, Jalen Redmond and DTY got their first snaps of the season. And so DT, uh, DTY, I, I didn't see him at all in Bedlam. So apparently it must have just been mop-up duty against Kansas State. So, yeah, as, as I keep watching, I'm sure I'll see more DTY. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I just got it. Not to, not to spend too much time on just that, that awful season. It wasn't an, it was a, It was a great season. Awful defense. Um, I, I just it, what a terrible coaching staff uh, was that that was there at that time. Uh, I, I just Kerry Cooks is a is a really bad college football coach. Um, and Mike Stoops and I know by that time he he was already he had already got his walking papers. But I, I just it's we maybe need to just to go back and just it, just to highlight again how bad it was uh, once he got fired only because we need to appreciate what we have now. At that time, Mike Stoops didn't know what the hell he was doing. I think that was pretty clear. Um, and that's not to say that he's a dumb person or a bad football coach. That's not. He had just definitely gotten to a situation at OU that he couldn't coach himself. Uh, he, he could not coach his way out of. Um, and, jeez. And he did not have a good staff to work with. Um, it's, not, it's not at all a coincidence that Parnell Motley, after only being in the you know in the program for a year, is like is awesome. The first like two or three games of his career that he starts, and then the more like the longer that he's in that room with Kerry Cooks, just the worse he gets. Like I mean, he and then you know Motley was awful the second half of seventeen and eighteen, and then two thousand and nineteen he was awesome. And that just tells you all you need to know right there. Um, it's crazy, and I we've made this point so many times. I have no idea how they were that close to a national championship uh, with, with some of those guys on the staff. Um, but it, it's, it's not a mystery. It's because, you know, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and those, and those offenses were, like we said at the time, they were really special, ones that we were going to remember forever. Yeah, as, as special as the offenses were in 17 and 18, the defenses were on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And it, it's just... And yeah, I mean, you can look at, listen back to old podcasts and you can listen to all the Oklahoma podcasts. I'm sure everyone's got versions of this. I mean, talking about the the years Oklahoma wasted two of the best 
college players of all time, two of the best college quarterbacks of all time, and Oklahoma doesn't have a national title to show for it, which is uh, it's it's just it's really really sad. And it, it's it, it all really Buki's fault. We're gonna go into it right now. <laughs> uh, okay, so into the transfer portal. Uh, I'm surprised. I, I did not see that one coming. I, I did not see him going into the portal. Um, it was uh, our last podcast. Is right right now. We're kind of trying to do every other week. Uh, both you and I agreed, and you brought it up first, and I agree with agreed with you that week one, it's more than likely going to be Pat Fields and Buki back there uh, playing state, you know, starting because he got seniority, and there's a lot of question marks, blah blah blah. And yeah, I mean that's fair. And, and again, throwing in the fact that Alex Grinch, yes, he, I think he gives credit to his upperclassmen especially if they haven't done necessarily anything to to not have to not have playing time but he's more than willing to take somebody out of the game and play a lot of players so just because somebody would start doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play the whole game but uh, there's a chance now that Buki's not going to not going to be with the program um, he still is I have no idea where he's looking uh, where he's going to play uh, let's start let's start with hmm because I, I do want to talk about the, the what ifs with him moving forward. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what we can do later. Um, I, I don't want to give my full thoughts about him because I'm doing this rewatch. And, and I want to gather as much information as possible. Like I said in my opening take, I don't want my, my opinion on him to be shaped by maybe a handful of bad plays I remember him, him making in three years because – you know, certain plays stand out, and I was reminded of some plays in the 2018 games that I've watched so far that make me shake my head, and some plays where I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that was, that was not too bad. Um, so I, I don't want to give my full-fledged take on him. Grant, do you, do you want to give your full-fledged take on, on Buki Radley-Hiles? Because I know that you like him a lot more, I think, than, than a lot of people in the fan base do, as, as far as his play on the field, not necessarily him as a person or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, if you've if you've listened to this podcast at all the last season, I, I I think I've made my my thoughts on Buki pretty clear. Um, I you know I I do want to I, I try I do kind of want to remove myself from the situation and kind of look at it from like a top down view or look at it from the outside because um, one thing I think we can all agree on or we at least should agree on um, is that a vast majority of the takes on Buki are emotional. They are emotional. There, there's not a whole lot of like X's and O's and like scouting going on here. It's it's emotional, um, and like I'm not I'm I'm not I'm not saying that I'm removed from that at all. It's it's emotional for me too. Clearly, I you know I've um, I've gone on rants on this podcast where I've I've gotten emotionally invested in it. So um, clearly, this is Buki as a player really does just elicit a very wide range of of emotional responses. Um, and so kind of where I am right now is that I, you know, Buki obviously was not served well by his, you know, him being a five-star guy. Um, and like, let's just say it right now as a five-star guy, he did not live up to expectations. He was, you know, he was not a five-star caliber guy. Um, but I, I just think, you know, it, it's important to kind of look at the context in this. Um, Buki's freshman season came after a season in which, OU and OU's fan base felt like they were just they they were just really close to a national title and everyone felt that and I, I know they were still a game away from it but everyone kind of had the feeling that if, if they were going to get past the Rose Bowl that there was just nothing they were going to win the national championship uh that it's just they were the team um and 
you know, that didn't happen. And I, I think everyone was was kind of emotionally scarred and hurt by that. And that's that's okay. I still am too. I don't like that's you know, I, it's hard for me to rewatch that game back. Um but of course, you know, right after that game, very shortly after that game, we know we got a guy like Buki coming in. He's a five star guy and he's a corner, and we haven't had a good corner in a long time. And man, he's got attitude, and we just spent an entire season or three seasons watching Jordan Thomas play corner and Man, you know, it's. I think the context is, is really important, and man, it, like the coaching staff did him no favors whatsoever. Not only did they, not only as soon as he stepped on campus, not only did they put him at a position that was not his natural position, they pumped him up like he was amazing, like he was going to be the quarterback of the defense. Like I, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but um, in in the spring, Kerry Cooks, when talking about Buki, he basically said he was the best player on the defense. Right away. Oh, I remember vividly in fall camp uh, being in, in a scrum with Kerry Cooks, and I can't remember exactly what he said, but every time Buki came up, it was one of those things where he kind of would, you'd see it on his face, he kind of give the, obviously this is a podcast, you can't see what I look like, but he kind of give like that, that kind of like slow nod of like, and kind of like his eyes would kind of open up a little bit. Like he was excited, you know, like you hear, like maybe somebody would talk about, uh, you know, let's, let's, if, if this, Let's say um, if Lincoln Riley would have done that with CeeDee Lamb when he was a freshman. Okay, that, that would have made sense because CeeDee Lamb was, was a really good player already as a freshman. Um, so, yeah, that, that was happening, and that's a good point. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that much because, yeah, it wasn't just the five-star services. He, he was getting pumped up by the coaching staff, and, I mean, we were pumping him up based on his high school tape. And, because I mean, maybe. It's pretty as far clear, as I know, right? He was playing well in practice. It's pretty clear. It wasn't just the OU fan base that looked at him. That looked at him as a savior. That coaching staff thought he was going to come in and save their jobs. That I mean, that's they they put him at nickel. They put know. him at arguably the that. most important I, position on the field when it wasn't his natural position. See, I don't know if that's true because I think they, if they were thought he would save his save their job, I think they would have put him at a more advantageous spot. Uh, and and I, I don't see. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think. I think one of kind, like kind of the post mortem on Buki once he's once he's fully and, and completely gone from the program, and, and we've talked about this too. Is that I, I think there was a fundamental failure of the coaching staff at OU while he while he was here. Um, I, I just I'm the way like, he covers extremely well from the slot. He he's, he covers very very well. Um, and he became a five-star player in high school based on playing corner. And up until last season, until until Parnell Motley played well and like really locked down a corner spot, cornerback play has not been good in this program since he's been there. Um, and I just it's I don't understand. I, I think the postmortem is always going to be this guy was playing out of position, and I don't know why. I know why. It's because no one else could play could play nickel, and they thought he was the best defensive back. I, I think that's what happened. And you know, I it's instead of putting him at, at a corner position and letting him thrive, doing what he does best, which which I think is better as you know than than kind of you know trying to uh, trying to fit a squ- a square peg into a round hole. Um, I just yeah, the the kid, it's his career hasn't really been that fair here. You know, it's just he had the five star. He was a five star guy with the expectations and let's like a terrible coaching staff ruined him his freshman year. Uh, And then he's just and because of because he was at Nicholas freshman year, I think he was just kind of shoehorned into that. And I I just 
not I, I have not heard a single good response from the coaching staff as to why that dude has never played corner a day in his life in this program. Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, and you remember back to uh, when Alex Grinch was coming in early on, and I was really trying, and it wasn't just me. I mean, it was other OU beat media people. We were trying to get a feel for for how much tape Grinch watched of previous OU teams to kind of get an idea of of the players that he had. And he said adamantly over and over again that he didn't watch any of it, really. He, he wanted everything to be just fresh. He, he comes in with fresh eyes. He has no idea what he's working with, and he wants to not, you know, he, has, he want to give, doesn't want to give any favoritism or anything. He just wants to see it with his own eyes, and then that will determine who plays and whatnot. So I, I get that, but I, I, I was always – I was always annoyed by it because if he really did do that, which let's be real, there's there's a 0% chance he just didn't watch any old OU tape. He had to have. He just, I mean, publicly, he he never said it and maybe got to the point where later on where it was just past it, past the point where we could ask about it. But I just, I have a hard, <laughs> it's hard to believe that prior to the 2019 season, Alex Grinch didn't pop in a tape from 2018 to see what the guys looked like. There's, I mean, come, I mean, that's just curious. I mean, he's a football guy. Of course he did. Um, but the, the big question is like, did, does Alex Grinch know about the recruiting of Buki? Did he know he played a lot of corner in high school? How much did he know about Buki? How much of a chance I'm, I'm trying to get at, how much of a chance was there when Grinch got here that Buki would actually change positions? And it would seem like the chance was always zero. It was always 0%. I mean, it, it was like never, it was never a, a possibility. And I think it made a good point. We've never heard a good explanation for it. And, and I do want to talk again about the future of it because uh, well, I'll just say it now. I mean, if he does transfer and he transfers somewhere and a big part of it, maybe he's talking to schools and he says, hey, listen, guys, I played corner in high school. I'm a lot more comfortable there. I'd like to see if I can play corner at the college level. And a team agrees and he goes and he plays. And let's say he goes to a power five school and Buki plays corner and he plays corner competently to well. That is going to be an indictment, not only on Mike Stoops and his staff, but it's going to be an indictment on Alex Grinch and his staff as well. Because, it, they're, they're, again, that's a big if. We don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a reason. Maybe behind the scenes they tried him out in practice here and there and something about it he just he couldn't cover. Maybe he was too slow. Maybe he'd get beat and he couldn't catch up. Maybe he couldn't come up and run support from the edge and make tackles. I don't know. But uh, I'm, all, I'm speculating on all this. Or maybe they never tried it at all. And we'll see if he transfers and plays. Uh, if he plays corner. Now, if he does transfer and then continues to play a nickel or a safety position, that'll be pretty interesting, would it not be? Because uh, then why would he transfer if he's going to continue to play the same position unless it's, it's simply at this point right now, Grant, he thinks he didn't have a, heart, a starting spot anymore. And he thinks he, he, if he doesn't transfer, he won't play much. I think, that's, I think it's fair to speculate on that for sure. Um, but also Lincoln Riley's comments, I mean, somebody specifically asked him about Buki and he said, I hope he comes back, you know, I, and I, I think, I think that is definitely evidence that the coaching staff still thinks he's a valuable player. Like I, it's, and, and I've said it too, Buki not being on this team in 2021 is not good for this team. It's not good. Um, and like, I, I know there's a lot of people celebrating this, like, you know, because he's gone now, it's just like now what? I, I guess I, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, my you know, 
kind of my final thought on that, not my final thought, but my thought on this, and I, and I said this kind of briefly in the last podcast, um, there's not any program in college football that is that like has that is in the position to say no to a four-year starter who is who is really good at covering people man to man. Like I, I just no program says no to that, and so like I, I just you know if if you're a college football player and you are good at covering and you are sticky in coverage, you're a good player. That's hard to do. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of college football players who are consistently sticky in coverage. And Buki is that. Now he's small. He's not good in the red zone. He's not good against the run. But man, he can cover really, really well. And that is something that is at a premium in college football. And in order to win a national championship, outside of having a great uh, a great quarterback, probably the second most important thing is you need to have a lot of guys who can cover. And, you know, um, and that's not to say, that's not to say, you know, maybe Jeremiah Crudell is awesome, is awesome. And he's, he's taken some steps in the offseason and, and, uh, and he'll be able to kind of replace or, or at least, um, you know, kind of be the same as Buki. Maybe Justin Harrington is awesome and he's going to play nickel and we're just going to completely forget about Buki. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of fanciful thinking. Uh, it's just, you know. Four-year starters who cover extremely well do not grow on trees, um, and like yeah, I I don't think that he was going to have the same sort of role, you know, that he did in all of 2019 and the first half of 2020. He was probably going to be more of of like the sixth defensive back, but man, you really need good uh, you know dime packages in the playoffs, and um, yeah, like th- this is one of the things that's not really going to hurt as much in the Big Twelve. But I, I don't think it would have been a terrible thing to have an extra guy who can cover uh, when you go up against the big boys. And um, Buki uh, can cover. And I also, you know, I, I also completely concede that uh, there was a lot of boneheaded mistakes and lots of, lots of you know, issues that I, I can see that people you know, take issue with. But also, if you're good at covering, you're a good college football player. And you never want those guys to leave your program, especially when they have eligibility left. Um, so that, that's kind of okay. where I am at it. And, and I'm going to, I'm not going to take a hard stance one way or the other, because this is why I wanted to go back and do the rewatch because, uh, what you're saying is, uh, you know, he can really cover really well. And granted, I'm watching from freshman year, so maybe it gets better, but from you watch freshman year, I'm almost all the way through. You don't come away thinking, man, Buki is, is a sticky cover guy so far. You, you don't, you don't come away thinking that. Uh, you don't come away thinking anybody is on the team. You, don't, you think every, everybody looks like they, they're lost. Uh, so my thing is, if I watch more 2019, 2020, and, and I come away, and I think, man, yeah, he, the good of that certainly outweighs everything else, then fine. I just don't know yet. And I know on, on you, you, says it do, you said it, it does, and that, that's fine. Um, and what have you heard a lot from the fan base, from OU Media over the last week is um, the good – the good outweighs the bad, you know? I mean, there's some people, obviously, that just don't like them and they're fan, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And that's, they're, and they're, yeah, that, like that's that. why I wanted Everywhere. to bring up the emotional, because if, I mean, if somebody, you just don't like them, that's, I mean, it's fine and you're right. not forced I mean, to like anyone. But if you come out and you say he's bad, that's just not right. You're, you're, being, you're being too emotional. Well, the thing is, yeah, what I like to do, and I think what you like to do as well, is if you're going to criticize somebody, 
uh, especially a college kid, even though, to be honest with you, I mean, I'm 33 years old, so I'm not a college-age kid, but even when I was a college-age kid or 20, like, it's okay to criticize college kids. They're adults. It's fine. But make sure that you're being fair and you provide evidence of why you're criticizing them. And especially if mistakes are made over and over and over again, then I, it's, it's even more fair to criticize. You know, if maybe something, if, if, if there's a one-off, you know, you know, cut people some slack. I think that's just general politeness, no matter if you're a kid or no matter if you're an adult. So I just wanted to put that out there. I mean, it, I, I'm not a big fan of the people that are, oh, I, I just, you can't, you can't criticize this person. He's in college. Like, no, you can it's they're adults like that's how people get better and it you know if you criticize somebody and it's unfair and you don't provide any evidence you're going to get hit for that you're going to get blowback and you better be able to defend your position and it's not like a broken record that's why I'm, I'm doing this rewatch because I don't want to say anything uh I mean that is unfair to this guy that's gotten a lot of flack over, over the years and some of it's warranted some of it may not be warranted and that's kind of what I want to make sure that I have the right assessment of him and a fair outlook on him because I'll put it out there this way. I mean, we can talk about how he is a great teammate. All of his teammates love him. You saw over social media uh, the day he entered the, entered the transfer portal, all of his teammates would say all these positive things about him. And I, I should have brought some of those tweets up because, um, now, I won't say that because I, I don't have the evidence to back it up. But, I mean, the point is he's, he's a good teammate. Yes. Uh, but two things can be true at once. You can be a great teammate, but you can also do things on the field that don't necessarily help out your team all the time. And there was a couple in 2018 that I've circled that don't necessarily help out uh, the team, uh, it, but more so just like the play uh, and just chances. Not necessarily – hey, actually, I'm rambling, but would you believe – I'm through 10 games in 2018. He missed one game. He missed the, uh, the Tech game because he, he was injured. And I guess that's another thing I'll have to take into account. Moving forward after that, because uh, do you remember when he, he separated the ball from that Kansas State player? I guess I think we learned out later he had a shoulder thing. So I think he was kind of playing with a bum shoulder the rest of the year. So uh, there's probably not really much of a surprise of why kind of – I remember the West Virginia game wasn't great for him, and he barely played against Alabama – uh, so he must have been injured, or I, I guess he was injured late in the year. But um, would you believe, though, through 10 games, I don't believe he was flagged for a penalty. Zero penalties. From, I, don't, and, I don't even remember yeah. penalties being an issue until this season. I mean, like, uh, outside of, like, personal fouls. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that I found to be pretty interesting that as I've been watching it back, through 10 games, I don't believe he was flagged for any penalties at this point. That's, that's good, uh, but a big reason for it, I think, is we can get more into the first, basically before Mike Stoops was fired. I found it very interesting. He's listed as the starting nickel in the box score, okay? He ain't playing nickel. Yeah, he was playing safety. He's, he's playing free safety. They got him playing deep, deep uh, single high safety, two deep safety along with um, Robert Barnes sometimes and along with, uh, Khalil Houghton, a little Khalil Houghton reference. Buki was playing a lot of free safety, which obviously he's just he's not, he's away from the play a lot of the times. And there was I was listening to back to our podcast, Grant from 2018. It was after I might, I might have been after, um, geez, Baylor, or it was before Texas, before they played Texas. And both of us were like, it's 
it's pretty clear he's playing out of position. He's not in a position to make a lot of impact plays. And fast forward, you know, even to 2021 or 2020, and he played more of a, a true nickel role, obviously, under Alex Grinch. But he still it didn't seem like he was in the best spots to make as many plays as he maybe could have made at cornerback. So I'll, I'll pause since I'm going along and see if you want to comment on any of that. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you, you glad you mentioned that. He, he didn't play nickel in, in 2018. He played free safety. Um, and I, I don't I mean, you don't really get a whole lot of opportunities to show off your coverage chops when you're playing free safety, especially in man to man. And that I mean, that team didn't play a ton of man to man either. Um, and definitely not the safeties. So well, it was bizarre because the the week after Texas, the week after Stoops was fired, it looked like that Buki was moved to a true nickel role. I mean, he was playing up near the line of scrimmage across from slot guys a bunch against TCU the next week and had a lot of chances playing zone, playing man. But then uh, later on against Kansas State, when he got hurt, he was back playing that deep safety position again. And against Oklahoma State, he was back kind of playing more of a deep safety type position. They played a lot of dime in that game. So I, we'll see if, if they move him back to more of a nickel role moving forward. But it might have just been for that one TCU game where they kind of moved him around the line of scrimmage closer. And he actually, uh, I'll go back and, and for future episodes, I went and re, re uh, subscribed for a month to Pro Football Focus because I wanted to get his grades. And I'm pretty sure that TCU game was his highest graded game of the season <laughs> when he was playing a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. And uh, there was some some really good things from that game that I, I took note of. So just want to throw that out there, too, as, as you were uh, you were going along. What else did you want to add, if anything? If not, I, I can go through a couple individual plays that I'm sure you've forgotten about that will make you go, oh. No, yeah. I mean, I just I, I, I do want to acknowledge um, that I, I get it. Like, I'm not I, I'm not trying to argue against reality here. There's very clearly a, a significant portion of the fan base that that really doesn't like Buki as a as a football player, and I, I guess you know I can't um, I I can't say that all of you guys are wrong um, because you know it's is whatever. Clearly, it's a it's it's a very it's it, it's a well held position. Um, and I only bring that up. I was listening to the Inside OU podcast uh, yesterday. And that's with that's with Brady and Keegan. Um, and, and Brady is kind of in that camp. Uh, he was he was able to kind of acknowledge all of all of the good that Keegan was bringing up. But also, he at the end he just said, "I don't want him at OU," um, and I, you know, I guess more power to you. I, I, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. But clearly, that is a that's a widely held belief amongst the fan base. Yeah. Well, so the, the next thing I want to get to that, and I think this is going to be the biggest theme of my rewatch because it, it's a huge theme in 2018, and I would be surprised if it's not a theme in 2019 and 2020. Although, I guess we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but uh, here's how I was grading it, and I talked about it a little bit in the opening take, but it's simply, you know, did he make a good play? Did he make a bad play? Did he miss a tackle? And I'll be honest, I kind of, with a missed tackle wasn't necessarily always a bad play for me. If it was a really bad missed tackle, I added it to the bad. And a bad play, you know, so that's kind of a, a 50-50 thing where, like, yeah, you miss a tackle, uh, but it's not necessarily bad. Maybe it didn't cost him that much. It was like, yeah, that's just he should have made the tackle in the backfield when he didn't. And uh, the last thing, though, I was grading on was missed chances, opportunities lost. And 
obviously the vast, vast, vast majority of snaps are just nothing. I mean, they're just nothing because, I mean, not every ball, not every play goes near him. So it's so it's, so through – I'll just tell you this. Through 10 games, and he missed one to injury. So through nine games, and honestly throw out the Army game because that was freaking flex bone, triple op. I mean, I, Bookie didn't come to Oklahoma to defend the triple option. He came to Oklahoma to, to defend the pass and, and get pass breakups and get interceptions. And so I – that was a game where, as you know, what I, I and honestly, I don't remember much anyways from that game. I think he played okay. So throw that game out. So through basically eight games, because he missed one game due to injury, the number of good plays I counted, eight and a half. I gave him a half point for a couple things. Number of bad plays, five and a half. Okay, so technically you go good to bad, more good than bad. But then you get into missed tackles. He had six. So you can add that on. There's probably maybe two or three that overlap between missed tackles and bad. So we're at about even now between good and bad. Missed chances, which isn't necessarily bad, but it's not good. Eight and a half. The thing about Buki in 2018 was that he, and this is something that at the time I'm sure you all remember, but going back and rewatching, I was reminded of, he was so close so many times, he just, there was many times where he just didn't make the play. And I think thinking back is obviously you get the five-star rating and he's supposed to be you know, this big player. These are plays that this guy at his caliber is supposed to make. In the first 10 games, he dropped three pick sixes. One of which was I gave him a half point because the sun may have been in his eyes. It was in the Bedlam game, and you're going to remember this. Do you remember in the Bedlam game when Oklahoma State, uh, Cornelius tossed it to a wide-open guy, and he dropped it, and the sun was in his eyes, and there was nobody around him? Uh, does that ring a bell at all? Maybe not. Uh, not really. But- I, I'm, I remember like him, and, and I don't remember what season this is. No, this like, may like, not have been like 2018. Cornelius threw it to one of his teammates, like an Oklahoma State guy who was like wide-open, but the like the sun the the sun was right in his eyes and he dropped it and Oklahoma got a break. Uh, the same kind of thing happened later in the game where the same part of the field, uh, the ball was coming. Buki should have made the play, but the sun. I'll give him a half you know half credit a point because a previous guy had dropped the ball because in the same spot. And so okay, you know when the sun's in your eyes, that's that's not as easy as a play. The sun's not there though. That's that's a pick six. Uh, but the, the missed chances is the thing that really jumps out at me because, man, I just, he would break on the ball. Uh, you're going to remember the, the TCU game. He breaks on a ball, a screen pass out to the wide receiver, perfect break. The ball's right in his hands at the That's line of the scrimmage. That's the one I'm thinking of. Drops it. And literally the very next play, screen pass to Cavante Turpin, touchdown. And it was and it, and I, it, it, it reminded me as I went back and rewatched it, Oklahoma was up by three touchdowns. Would have been up by four. They could have buried him with the pick six. But then he drops it. TCU scores a touchdown. TCU got back in that football game, and they were only down by like a field goal at halftime. You know, it's just – and it's, it's the things like that where he, he could have effectively maybe put that game away, and he didn't, and you just, we all kind of remember it now. And st- little things like that kind of add up, whereas that's a play you got to make. And it was either in that same exact game or a previous game where like Khalil Houghton – you mentioned Grant on the podcast. I listened back. He's, he dropped the easiest interception of all time. It was right in his hands. 
And you said, you know, if he, he can't catch that, I don't know if he can catch ever catch an interception. So again, it's not like Buki was the only guy that wasn't making plays. Yeah, everybody in the secondary. This, wasn't and making that's plays. where that's where the five star, you know, that's where the five stars come in. That's why it's everyone is kind of judging him based on that context. And like, I I think that's I think that's fair. Like, I, I think it's fair to say that Buki didn't live up to expectations. Um, but also I. Still, I, I, he was he was not a bad player. I, I guess that's just kind of my 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 last thing. But also, I, I can concede he wasn't like a very good player either. He was, I I I think most of the time he was a good player for OU. But on average, he, he was he was he was fine. He was fine. And he's you know he's okay. he, he he did he does two things really well. Uh, he he covers really well and he diagnoses really well. Um and and I just I. I think those are really valuable things to have, you know, on, on a team that you're going to try to win a national championship. And I, it, it's what Lincoln Riley says. I, I hope he comes back. I hope he does. And that's, I mean, I'm not anticipating that. I doubt he does. Uh, but I, I really hope he does because I, I do think he's a really valuable piece for OU this year. Um, and I, I, think it's, I think it's too bad that other people don't really see that um, because this is... I. The secondary is is still kind of a question mark going into next year, and uh, experience in the secondary is kind of an indicator of success. Um, and you're you're taking away a lot of starts there. And um, I just I, I want to caution people to, to to celebrating too much at this departure because I really do not think that it makes OU a better football team. And again, I'm gonna. Uh, abstain from making any sort of hard hard line takes but I will promise you once I get done with this full rewatch everyone out there you will know for sure whether or not it's a good or a bad thing because I'll be able to tell you and I just yeah this Buki leaving I puts a ton of pressure on Justin Harrington and um I will we'll see I don't know like it's he, that's a guy that we, we haven't seen him in uniform once at OU and uh I don't know I know the the talk is is really positive about him but Man, that that's the secondary's fortunes really kind of rely on Justin Harrington next year. It, it's kind of seeming like, and I don't. Man, the last time that we sort of felt that way about a player, it was Buki in 2018, and that's not great. So, okay, so I just there's a couple other plays from 2018. Since again, I, I've gone through it, and I want to provide evidence of uh, good, bad, missed chances. We went over the missed chances. I mean, he had some good plays, and. Iowa State, and <laughs> uh, this is game three, third, ga- third game as a college player. And ironically, I'm not sure if that's the right way to use it, but yeah, co- or coincidentally maybe, uh, the first, now I guess second good play. Okay, never mind. He had, he had one good play against FAU. He had one good play against UCLA. And he had one good play against Iowa State. And the one good play against Iowa State was when he was lined up like a boundary corner. He was essentially playing corner. And he reads the wide receiver swing pass. He beats the wide receiver block in front of him and goes and makes a really nice tackle for loss. And it was the best play he had made so far in three college games. And I just remember watching it in the rewatch and wow, it's like he was playing corner there. And it's exactly what a great corner would have done in diagnosing a screen pass. And he made the play. So I kind of thought that was kind of interesting that one of his very first times kind of playing corner, he looked very comfortable, made a nice play. Against Baylor, I'm going through. I didn't. I didn't count any good plays against Baylor. He only had. He had two missed chances in that game. Against Texas, 
two good chance, two good plays in that game. Okay, good. And they were kind of late, and they're actually tackling. But as I watched, as I watched, and it's funny because again, listening to our podcast back from the very beginning, we were both talking about how man he he needs to learn how to tackle. He needs to start going low. But you know, he'll figure it out. You know, he's young. He'll figure it out. Well, he didn't really ever figure it out. And going back to the Texas game. <laughs> Buki was in, and he was the first person that came into contact with L.J. Humphrey on that infamous third down and 19 play. He came into contact with Humphrey seven and a half yards downfield, and uh, L.J. picked up like another 13 yards after he came into contact with Buki because he, he, he tried to tackle him high. He came up to him high, and L.J. just dragged him down the field. Kind of begs the question and- why uh- – why are you putting a guy who's so small near the box when you know he's really good at covering and there's a position well, called the cornerback that playing, plays on put, the outside he, of the box where you don't see as much running plays? I, it just the whole thing is so stupid to me. I, I just, he was, you know. Well, he was playing free safety back then. So he was, I mean, it was like a bubble screen and he was the first guy to, to come from the alley and, and make contact. And it's not like he's the only one. I mean, he dragged a bunch of guys. A bunch of guys couldn't bring him down, but it was just he was the first person there. Uh, the a general, and this is not that surprising, but you you sense the theme that he he didn't want it to do much with with uh, physicality. It was it was he was physical on his own terms his freshman year. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of instances where he was really trying to go out of his way to stick his head in a pile and help out with a tackle. Um, it was, but if he if, if he could blow somebody up, you know that was free. He he loved doing that. He loved giving that a shot or. And that's just – that's kind of the way he played as a freshman. And I'll be curious to see if that changes in 2019 and 2020. But uh, he, he would kind of shy away from physical activity unless it was on his own terms, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go do something here to make somebody remember this. Um, so that was the Texas game. But, again, I mean, he did, he did have some good he – had, he had some good plays that year. Um, so I – that's all I have. This probably isn't that great of podcasting, so I'll, I'll – how about this? Uh, last thing for good. Against TCU, earlier in the game, he was kind of hung out to dry on a speed option where he didn't – it was like, oh, do I go for the quarterback or do I go for the running back? But, like, he was – in an island, he was kind of hung out to dry because there was no other – one of his teammates there to help him out. So he goes for the running back. And remember Michael Collins from TCU? Yeah, he was the quarterback then. Michael Collins runs in for a touchdown – uh, because Buki goes for the pitch man and not the quarterback. Like, I don't know what he was supposed to do there. That, that was tough. But later in the game, he was like, same situation comes up. And <laughs> he just, he was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go right for the quarterback. And he just, a missile goes right at Collins on a speed option, just destroys Collins, forces the pitch. And the pitch out, Khalil Houghton comes up, makes a tackle on third down, and TCU punts. So it was a play where he clearly remembered the previous time it happened. He didn't go for the quarterback that time. This time, he was like, yeah, forget that. I'm going for the quarterback. I don't care. And he made a good play. So, I, like, th- there, was, there was some good, even though he wasn't getting much help his freshman year. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's still, yeah, it's tough for me. 2018 is, I mean, yeah, seriously, good Kansas on you State for play, going through the there and trying to that. actually, like, pick out the good from that. That's, that's pretty crazy. Um, uh, one one more thought on Buki. I, I do just want to want to throw it out there. Yeah, I th- I don't I don't like the antics either. I I generally hate antics in sports altogether. Show up, do your job, and and don't really celebrate that much or anything. I I just show up and do your job. 
Um, and yeah, I, I don't like the antics. I, Brady on his podcast brought up like the sledgehammer in 2018 that he always had. And yeah, that's cringe as hell. That's stupid. That's really dumb. Um, I, I don't like that stuff either. I also hated the personal foul in the Peach Bowl or him getting kicked out. I hated that crap. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were some penalties in 2020 that, you know, that, that were really bad as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think he had some really good moments at OU. Uh, 2019, Texas, I, I think that was his best game in his career at OU. He was, he was great that game. Um, and I also want to bring up, too, he, uh, in, in 2019, he ended that TCU game at home uh, with, with what maybe could have been his best play as a Sooner. Uh, fully extension, picking that ball off uh, to end the drive. And, I mean, at that time and when it happened, I thought TCU was going to score and OU was going to lose. Um, because that's just kind of how the game was going, and and Buki made a play and he ended that game, and so uh, I I don't know I, I I think he deserves credit for that. So I will make one general comment based on everything I've seen you know over the years from Buki with, without you know going back and rewatching that I'll kind of go back and I'm I'm curious to see what you think about this analogy or comparison. Mention the antics and you know that's that's what he's I think that's what he's most known for is just that's his why, kind of on the field. That's why people don't way. like him. That it's right. it's it's the antics. That's like I'm I'm and and that's and of course there's going to be exceptions to that, but I think largely the people who feel really emotionally about it and don't like him, it's because of the antics. So yeah, that's that's kind of what I was going to say is how much, you know, like okay, yeah, you just said it's the antics. To me that's okay, you're not helping yourself out. I mean, you're 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 certainly not helping yourself out in any lack of, you know, in any sense of it, especially if um, you've, you're not playing perfectly. <laughs> you know, if you're playing awesome and, and you're, you know, you're having as good of a season as Kenneth Murray had, you know, in 2019 or something like that, and, or, you know, Neville Gallimore, he was having great years, or heck, Parnell Motley in 20, you know, you can kind of, I mean, you can kind of get away with that stuff when you're playing really well, but I mean, all it takes is one or two mistakes, and, but the antics continue and like the acting, like, you're the best player on the field that's going to rub people the wrong way notice how and this might not be the best comparison just because of the amount of snaps but Caleb Kelly is a five-star player that you could argue with the exception of a couple games late in his first year didn't live up to uh, his billing but Caleb Kelly is everybody loves Caleb Kelly Caleb Kelly much more significant bust than Buki was much more significant but 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 you never hear about it because well one I know he's been he was injured this past year but people love Caleb Kelly and he he doesn't have any of that on-field baggage type stuff that Buki did. I mean I, so like it, I think that's kind of interesting I mean like again like Buki's played a lot more than Kelly has so I guess that tells you that he is one being available is important so he's been available basically his entire career Buki has uh it's just bad luck for Caleb Kelly but I just that's kind of interesting is like Caleb Kelly is a five star he definitely did not live up to it but you don't you don't see people complaining and and ragging on Caleb Kelly. I mean, he's he's widely adored, I think, in the Sooner fan base. The uh, the antics for Buki aren't aren't really defensible. The antics aren't defensible. I just like I I I think I am able to kind of separate it, and I look at him kind of for what he is, which is a guy whose antics are pretty annoying and and can sometimes pop up in some really inconvenient spots, but a vast majority of the time. He does what he does well, which is cover and diagnose plays. And he does those things pretty well, both of them. And by the time I'm done with the rewatch, I, uh, I'll be able to either confirm or uh, deny your claim right there. 
because maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. So, but yeah, maybe, I, uh, I kind of, I kind of have a feeling that he's 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 going because he wants to play corner somewhere. Why not? I hope so. I want him to. I'd love to see it. I mean, we all want to see him play corner. And it's I, a lot of. Yeah. I think uh, I don't know. I've, I've I've read some stuff. I mean, UCLA could be a, a destination. I know he's kind of from that area originally. Um, UCLA is a team that has uh, that could be kind of interesting. You know, next year I'm, we're we're going to talk about this. the uh, The preseason SP Plus rankings came out today. Uh, UCLA is 21st in those. Actually, I'm I'm kind of surprised. They I guess they were they were pretty decent in their five games this year, um, and they returned basically everybody. Dorian Tom or uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson somehow is still going to be there. <laughs> All right, how much juice do you have left? How much how much time do you have? I got 29% left, so we can probably go for another 15 20 minutes, I guess. Okay, so let's just touch on real quick. The last episode, it was before Eric Gray the running back signed and I presented some conspira- conspiratorial scenarios about Kamar Wheaton and Eric Gray, but in in a way I think we kind of got our answer because uh, they got Eric Gray and uh at the National Signing Day press conference last week, Riley mentioned that once they got gray, they knew they weren't going to have any more high school guys. So nobody else signed on, on a Wednesday. Uh, how close or how much of a chance was Whedon? I don't know. I mean, it was, it was fun to talk about, but he, he's at Bama now. And uh, Eric Gray, I don't know if, if – I, I haven't watched any more on him. I watched a decent amount of him before our last podcast. Uh, but he's a good get, man. And I'm kind of – my comfort – like I've kind of been confirmed with what I was thinking – talking to other people uh specifically dusty dusty thinks that and, and i agree with him that eric gray could be the the rb1 next year for Oklahoma. yeah i think he actually uh, is going to be uh, i mean i don't think right away but by the end of the season he's going to be rb1 i uh the, the, i think if he had i mean if, if he had been in the program the last two years instead of at tennessee i think 100 percent. it's just how long will it take him to get into the flow of the offense and where will kennedy brooks be after having a year off and honestly i think brooks will be Really good because yeah, Brooks is going to be fresh. Yeah, he's going to be fresh, I, I like man. Brooks is going to be better than anything that they saw pre, you know, Ramondre Stevenson this past season, like sig- significantly better. Um, which yeah, I mean, if you if you want to hear our thoughts on that, just go back to the beginning of the season. We we're not impressed by OU's running back stable. Um, yeah, I, I I like Gray. I've actually watched quite a bit of him since then, and uh, the part that's underrated about him is he uh, his his cutting ability. Uh, he makes people miss consistently, and uh, I, I that that's a big deal. So I, I think uh, I'm really excited to kind of see what what he looks like with a little more space to work with, uh, because he's a guy who is. I mean, I've um, go watch his highlight tapes. He's guys. He, he's a guy who makes dudes miss in a phone book fairly regularly, um, and you know, only averaged he averaged a little less than five yards a carry this past year at Tennessee. But it's not like he was working with you know, an amazing offensive line in front of him. And, and I know they had a ton of five stars on that offensive line, but. Uh, hey, Wanye Morris, great offensive lineman. He's a great <laughs> offensive lineman. You're right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but no, I think, yeah, the, the Eric Gray get, I, I'm, I'm starting to kind of be convinced that I think that was their most significant get. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a really yeah. good player for OU this year. Well, I mean, running back was the most important thing they needed out of the portal. And they got a really good one. Um. I well, think, uh, I you know, a- if, but of course, you know, if, if, if like Wanye Morris turns out to be like an all conference guy and like oh, a, yeah, a, a yeah. clear, like NFL draft pick, then yeah, I mean, that's going to be the most important one. But, um, I kind of, I'm a little, 
I'm I'm a little more confident in Eric Gray being kind of being a slam dunk than I am Wanye. Well, yeah, I mean, running back's a position. It's a as much as I I have changed my mind a little bit based on this past year because Oklahoma it wasn't necessarily a plug and play position because they did take or they did have a significant drop off from Ramondre. So I, I will have a little more respect now for running backs moving forward. It it still is more of a plug and play position though than tackle and. Uh, especially in Oklahoma's offense, where you can get schemed up good good looks. And speaking of Wanya Morris, I, I, my last thing on Gray, and it, it has to do with Morris too, is I was at work finding more highlights of Eric Gray uh, just for video for for News Nine. Uh, the Missouri game from last year, I believe, I went back and a couple of touchdowns that uh, Eric Gray scored on both of them. <laughs> Wanya Morris had really big blocks to kind of help spring them and. The last podcast I was talking about Juan A. Morris. I think one of the negative. Well, actually, no. I, I said one of the, you know, one of the positive things. He looks like he's pretty athletic. He can get out there and move. But in the one game I watched, the Georgia game, he didn't pull once in that entire game. But I, you know, he's he's probably fine. He did uh, in that Missouri game a touchdown run from Gray. They had Juan A. Morris pulling and leading the way for Gray, and he looked just fine. And he blocked blocked out a linebacker. And then another one was another example of his athletic ability it was on a a uh, running back screen bubble screen pass where they they kicked Wanye out to be a le- like to try to lead him up through the uh up the boundary and they so they got him out running and, and blocking a defensive back and so yeah the guy can move so that's that was kind of cool to see the two guys Oklahoma got be focal points of those two touchdowns yeah I um and this is me just sort of monitoring kind of like the pulse of the fan base I I definitely have seen, and I'm not saying this is a majority-held opinion, but I've definitely seen kind of a um, a train of thought that that says that uh, Eric Gray is is just kind of along the lines of TJ Pleasure, and they're kind of the same player. Uh, that's not correct. That's not correct Wait, at all. Eric Gray is significantly better than TJ Pleasure, and so I just I, I just wanted to kind of stake my ground in that, and and like this is not TJ Pleasure is a at OU is a depth guy. Eric Gray is not a depth guy. Eric Gray is going to run for a thousand yards next year. Wait, you're telling me that there is there is people comparing Gray to Pledger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And no. like I said, I, I I don't know if th- that's definitely not a majority held opinion, but I mean, I I think it's it's definitely held by some people for sure, and that's just not correct. And I just wanted to to go like if if there is any sort of position, I just wanted to kind of stake my ground as all. Gotcha. Uh, all right, so you wanted to talk about these SP Plus rankings. You're a big SP Plus guy. We didn't talk much about it this past year, though, I feel like. but Yeah, they the, uh, the, the reason why yeah. is because Bill Connolly, who, who did it, he, he used to be with SB Nation, and he's, he's now with ESPN. Um, he used to, to put together uh, stat profiles for every single team that he would update every, every week. And um, as, as, as soon as he went to ESPN, he doesn't do that anymore. So um, it's, it's kind of hard to get like the, those, those numbers really broken down. I know there's people who have like the, S, uh, the SP plus source code who, are, uh, who, who, can, who can get those numbers, but I, I tried to figure it out online and it's, it's really tough. You kind of have to know how to like program and stuff like that to figure it out. But maybe by, uh, maybe by this, this next season, there'll, there'll be a better way to kind of look you know, team by team and break all that stuff down. But I, I only wanted to bring it up just because um, SB Plus is a really it's 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 a really good way uh, to kind of see uh, as a marker compared to the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world um, because 
basically the last, oh geez, I don't know, half decade, five, six years, Bama longer than that. It's essentially just been Alabama and Clemson at the top with Ohio State kind of sprinkled in there every now and then. And typically just the the gap between those three teams and everyone else is significant. Um, and I, I just, I wanted to bring it up this season because uh, OU, they are third in the, in the preseason SP plus rankings uh, behind number two Clemson and number one Alabama. But it's they're not far behind either of those teams. They are absolutely in the same atmosphere uh, in terms of these preseason rankings, and that's that's different. That's something new. Um, even in 2017, when uh, we loved that team and thought they were they really could have won the national championship, that team finished seventh in SP plus, like way behind Alabama, like nearly like ten points behind Alabama. Even that season, um, now. They're only 2.7 points behind Alabama, and that's on a neutral field, which means at home, SP Plus would likely favor OU to beat Alabama. Um, and and I, just, I think it's significant because OU is closer to Clemson and Alabama than they are to number four Ohio State. Oklahoma is three points better than Ohio State in this poll. Uh, it's not a poll. It's a, it's, it's a ranking system. And uh, it, uh, 2000 and, 2020, Lee, uh, for the first time in about three seasons, OU relinquished the number one SP plus offense ranking. Um, they're right back at number one for the preseason in 2020, um, and they're 16th for defense. So, uh, I, I think it's interesting, and I just this is kind of one of those things that you can point towards and say, okay, I, this, the computers like OU. The computers are saying uh, that OU is is on the same level as Bama and Clemson going into this season, and that's. That's 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 new. That's not something that has been the case at all uh, since Lincoln Riley ha- has been at OU. So when the analytics start to like it, I, I think that's a really good sign. And Lee, another super interesting part about these SP plus rankings, where would you guess Iowa State is? Well, uh, it would be a lot more interesting if I didn't know, but I'm actually looking at the top 10 right now. So I know the answer to this question. <laughs> Let's see. I'll pretend like I, I don't know. Uh, man, Iowa State. Um, I mean, what would you have guessed Iowa before? State's, like, what would you have guessed before you saw it? I mean, I like Iowa State a lot more than you do, but uh, knowing it's, I'll be honest. I would have probably thought they were somewhere, probably at the bottom of the top ten. I, I think Iowa State's really good, so I, I know they're a little higher than that. But yeah, they're number uh, seven. They're number seven, um, and that's. Number six offense, number 15 defense. That's pretty salty. That's salty. Um, but also, I, I wanted to bring that up. Just, just uh, If OU, if their trajectory continues to where we think it is, Iowa State's not going to be a problem this season. They're just not. Um, There'll be a challenge, that, like schematically. Um, but in terms of... If they... If they it, it'll, it'll all come down to Brock Purdy. If they allow Brock Purdy to get away with stuff, then, yeah, they'll be a problem. But if they take advantage of Brock Purdy, like they failed to in the first game this past year, but then were successful in the Big 12 title, then, yeah, they, they should be okay. Uh, but, I mean, Iowa State's defense is they – they know how to slow down Oklahoma, man. I agree, but also, um, if Oklahoma's offensive line improves this season and the running game is a lot better, I mean, that, that's the key to running Iowa State off the field. Is is running the ball right at him, um, and and OU's offensive line wasn't good this year, relatively speaking. You know, to the past, 
Um, and yeah, I, I think if, if OU can really get that offensive line humming and, and kind of on the same page and getting to the point where they were in 2017 and 2018, yeah, Iowa State's defense is not a problem. You just run the ball. Well, I, you're, uh, you, let's see, you uh, use a lot more hyperbole than I do. I, I, I will never, ever talk about Iowa State and ever mention them not being a problem because Iowa State's a really darn good football team. So uh, maybe if we're talking about, you know, like teams like um, Kansas State. No, actually, never mind. Oklahoma hasn't beaten Kansas State since uh, <laughs> since 2018, <laughs> since since uh, Ruffin McNeil was a defensive coordinator. <laughs> uh, Kansas State, they are 63rd in the preseason, hmm. 59th offense, who's the, uh, 65 after defense. Oklahoma and Iowa State, who's the next Big 12 team? Is it Texas? Texas at 20. Okay. Uh, yeah, Texas at 20, Oklahoma State is 29, TCU 33, West Virginia 34, Baylor 51, Texas Tech 70, Kansas 113. Uh, other OU opponents on the list, Nebraska at 30. Um, they, they're uh, number 19 defense in the preseason. I guess I think they, have, they return all 11 starters, and they finished uh, in the top 30 of defense this year, I think. Um, and then uh, also Tulane, they're, who they're going to open the season against, Number 67, 40 offense, 94 defense. So that, that, that could be a game where OU's offense is, is humming right along at, at the beginning. So, man, I just, I'm, I'm fired up. I, I was fired up when I saw those, those rankings today. I, I, I love SP+. Um, and uh, makes, makes the season seem closer than it is, but I, I realize that it only ended just a month ago. But um, fun stuff. I really like it. Well, it's just more confirmation that the high expectations and the national championship expectations are warranted. And this whole season is going to come down to, can these college kids handle it? Can they go into a season knowing that they're supposed to win a bunch of games and potentially win a national championship? Can they handle it? Are, are they mature enough to not overreact, not uh, get, uh, have the pressure get to them? Or, are, are, yeah, I mean, are, are they going to be people that trust their – preparation have a good summer have a good first of all have a good spring have a good summer do all the right things and hopefully have proper leadership uh, on the team to know that every time you go into a game you prepare the right way and never have the moment be too big for you and we've talked about this i think last podcast grant we both at this point and hopefully we're wrong we both kind of don't think that we're going to see you know full stadiums in the fall i mean maybe like i mean 50 percent probably seems pretty likely um so like we still have never seen spencer rattler like in a real tough road rowdy environment uh, how's that going to factor in uh, i mean i tend to think it's not gonna be that big of a deal because he played a lot better it seemed like on the road <laughs> this past year than he did at home uh which was good he's just so calm and cool i just hope that i hope that he takes a jump i mean he was already really good as a freshman it, the whole key is that he just he gets a lot better uh, and, and improve off of what he already was. And then the receivers playing a lot better than obviously running back. And, and I mean, the offense just needs to be better. If, if the offense can get back to Lincoln Riley standards of 2017, 2018 and parts of 2019 and, and also parts of 2020, obviously, but uh, more consistently, this team's going to, I mean, this team's going to easily win the big 12. And uh, I mean, they could maybe win a playoff game for the first time ever. <laughs> How about that? That would be cool. Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah, just uh, I, I like how you bring that up. That it, it is going to be about these college kids. Can they handle the moment? Can they do it? And it's not just going to be about handling it. 
it's going to be realizing that, and, and we've mentioned this before, it's realizing the work that you got to put in to be, to be champions. It's, and we said this, if they're going to win a national championship, it's going to be right now. This is where they're going to win it, where they are currently right now. Um, and and I, I hope in that, you know, in that locker room, the coaching staff, I hope they realize that too. Um, oh, the that, coaching staff absolutely realizes it. The, I mean, you can tell with all the transfers in. By the way, uh, there's it still hasn't happened yet, which I'm surprised, but they're still trying to get another Tennessee transfer in on defense. Hadn't happened yet officially. They're still trying to get that defensive lineman. Is that? Oh, you talk, oh, you're talking about Big Cat Bryant? Yeah. No, he's from Auburn. But I know he, he, he originally What did I say? You said Tennessee, oh, but Tennessee, he committed to Tennessee. Yeah. And my bad. yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that would be great too. Um Yeah, they're still I mean, so like they're they're trying to get I mean, everyone knows. I mean, everybody knows this is the year. <laughs> Just Yeah. And also uh I we haven't mentioned it yet. Uh gosh, man. The defensive line is going to be really salty next year. Um it's 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 I clearly going to be the best defensive line since 2009 when Gerald McCoy was there. Uh, and last year was the best defensive line since 2009. Um, starting to get really excited about that group, um, especially because I mean they're just going to be able to plug in Jalen Redmond, and I, I think I think everyone has kind of forgotten that he was arguably at the end of 2019 best defensive lineman on the roster was Jalen Redmond, um, and I, I just that's not f- Jalen Redmond and. Uh, and Perry and Winfrey next to each other is not is not really fair, especially for the Big Twelve. Um, and Isaiah I, Thomas is pretty good too. <laughs> and Isaiah Thomas, who I thought should have been the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, uh, man, I'm getting excited. And also, like Brian Osamoa is is kind of really good. Um, if 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 he puts it all together, uh, you, yeah, I'm kinda, you're saying nah. I don't. I don't think any of their linebackers can be classified as really good. No, not yet. No, not even Ogwebu. I think think Ogwebu's got potential. I know he's like going to be the darling of the well, offseason. I mean, but yeah, I was just saying. Like I, no. I think Ogwebu has a lot of potential. I, I think Brian Osamoa, as it stands right now, based on the end of the season, was the clear best linebacker in that room in the team. Um, I just I, I like him a lot. He's a freak athlete, um, and they they haven't had like athleticism like that at the linebacker position in a long time. Um, just, just kind of the way that he closes on plays and sort of explodes through the ball carrier. He's fun to watch. And, and like, and I, and I say that knowing that there were plenty of bonehead, you know, stuff this, you know, this season as well. But, uh, I like that guy, man. In, in their front seven, they just, they got a lot of speed and athleticism in their front seven. Um, and it's, it's, it's at a playoff SEC level. I, I really do think that. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned Redmond because, on our Facebook page, Philip actually uh, brought up Redmond on the Facebook page. He says, uh, is there any updates on Jalen Redmond? Will he play? Is this the year that we see Redmond? And uh, is he, is he going to be like what we've been waiting for? And so I, I don't know if – I guess maybe we haven't talked about it much on the podcast. And I know that uh, Dusty's talked about this, I believe, on the Blitz. Uh, and I, I'm not sure – no, I think because he didn't, he didn't do his radio show anymore. But uh, to answer your question, Philip, yeah, so Jalen Redmond, he's good. He's back, and it sounds like he is looking great, and he's going to be fine. And I think it's fair to expect him to be a contributor right away. He's going to be like a starter. He never left. He's a starter. Like he yeah. never left. So uh, that's that's what I have heard from J- about Jalen Redmond. That's again, that's from uh, from Dusty. That's 
that's my source on that one. He was practicing uh, uh, practicing with the team during bull prep, so he's fully back. So, yeah, so uh, it, everything about Jalen Redmond sounds about exactly where we want it to be at this point. Uh, I know, Philip, you asked some other questions about returning starters. Uh, I appreciate that. Also appreciate you, Justin, as well, asking about uh, projected starting lineup. Uh, not going to get there yet, uh, but certainly as, as time goes on, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about that. Especially we'll do a post-spring spring prediction, practice. I'm sure. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, also, Philip, asking about Caleb Williams. Uh, we'll, we'll get to Caleb Williams later. Um, I don't necessarily find... Uh, I'll be honest, I don't find Caleb Williams' talk to be that interesting yet. Um, I don't know much about him, but sure, uh, in garbage time when he comes in, of course, we'll all be paying attention to see what he looks like. Very similar to like we watched when Rattler came in in 2019 in garbage time. Uh, so that, that'll be kind of that'll be fun when we get there. Uh, other than that, uh, Brady, uh, Brady Trantham chiming in on the West of Ever's Facebook page about Buki. So appreciate that, <laughs> Brady. I think we've gone over uh, Buki enough on this show. But uh, credit to you, Brady, for bringing up the quote from Lincoln Riley last November when he said that uh, the day Buki leaves the program, Oklahoma will be worse off which was quite the, uh, quite the statement. So if Boogie does leave, according to Lincoln Riley, as you're pointing out, Brady, Oklahoma's going to be a worse off program. And I think, Grant, you agree with that at this point. And I don't know if I agree with that yet. But I, it's in like, time, it's, I will tell you if I do or not. It's possible that the dudes on campus like just improve and they, and they don't really miss his services. Uh, but like, I, I know better than that. It's hard to find dudes who can cover in college football. And it, it's... I just I, I think it's unlikely that the person that replaces Buki in that spot will be as sticky in coverage as he was. I think that's really unlikely. All right, that's all I have from uh, the West of Everest Facebook page. You about out of juice. I bet you're probably getting to the end. I'm at 16%. I, make- I, I really want to talk about the Super Bowl. Um, because I, but we don't have to go too much in, in depth with it. I just, I just wanted to bring it up because a few weeks ago, uh, you know, I had made a comment about Kansas City, basically saying, you know, if you don't you don't make them the favorite to win the Super Bowl, I mean, perpetually for the next handful of years, you're just trying too hard. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to mention that just in case um, uh, anyone you know calls me out on it or something like that. I'm acknowledging that. Um, I do want to say, and I, I told you before the game, I did pick Tampa Bay to win that game, um, and my my exact reasoning, and you can you can vouch for this on that was that Kansas City was missing their two starting tackles, and that was going to lose them the game. Um, and that was very clearly the difference in the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, the pressure was, was ramped up to 11. I mean, I, Mahomes was running around. I, every quote-unquote expert, not everyone, because obviously there's a million people out there that talk football, but everyone that I follow and trust when it comes to football analysis, for the most part, everybody was was on Kansas City, and so was I. And it's just because, yeah, yeah, the tackle stuff, that's, that's not great. But if any team can, can overcome it, it's the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes is – well, they have already with one of the guys out for X amount of weeks. And Mahomes is so good post-snap. And you'd think that they would be able to dial up quick passes and kind of maybe, maybe able to coach around it, coach around the, uh, the lack of it. And they didn't. And so that's – I mean, I, I, I texted you or told you – um, I love watching the NFL matchup show on ESPN with Greg Cosell and uh, Matt Bowen, who the, the, two, the two guys who break down film for it. And both of those guys thought the Chiefs were going to win. And, it, I mean, they watch film all day. I mean, they, they don't bet or anything like that. They just, you know, based on film study, 
And it was simply, I mean, Cosell's the guy. He's the godfather of that show. And he said, simply, I, I'm picking the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes is so good off script post-snap. And I, I can't go against that. And it backfired. I mean, he, he, he was actually really good <laughs> post-snap and off script. And his teammates, his teammates didn't help him out. I mean, there was a lot of drops. That was weird. But, I mean, obviously Tampa Bay significantly outplayed them. And it was a, it was a bad game. Yeah, I really mean, bad I, game. Real bad game. It was not I, a good that, game I think and, that shows you like the level, uh, how much of a difference there is between starting offensive linemen and the backups in the NFL. It's a it's a huge difference. And um, the the guy who played left tackle for Kansas City, I'm slightly familiar with him because he used to play left tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. Is Mike Rimmers, and I just thought it was funny because. He, I mean, for the handful of years he was in Minnesota, people did not like that he played left tackle. He was being, you know, he that was not his natural position. He was there just because uh, their offensive line was a mistake and, a, and just a mess. And he was really bad at left tackle for the Vikings. And so I kind of knew right away that the Chiefs were in trouble in that game. Um, and I just thought it was kind of interesting uh, that while watching the game play out, Tampa Bay's defense, it kind of seemed like their game plan was made with the assumption that they were absolutely going to get a ton of pressure on Mahomes. Like, that that, that was a foregone conclusion. Um, and I, watching the game play out, I mean, it's just kind of... They, they, couldn't, they couldn't block Tampa Bay at all. It's not like Tampa Bay didn't even really blitz that much. It was just kind of three- and four-man pressures, and Kansas City couldn't block it. Yeah, I mean, that's why they beat... Green Bay. I mean, that's what they were known for going in is just that front four pressure. I mean, getting with pressure without blitzing. And I, I mean, I, I, I thought the I had been kind of against the Chiefs all postseason and they kept. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I guess it worked out for the Brown. I mean, but Mahomes got hurt. Uh, but I, I thought the Bills would I thought the Bills are going to beat them. I thought the Bills are going to win that game. And it wasn't even close. I mean, they made they toured with the Bills. And it was like, I mean, that Chiefs defense, that Bills offense is great. And they they made it look really bad with a really mobile quarterback and they contained him. I, but the chiefs defense played really poorly and they couldn't stop the run and they didn't cover nearly as well. And they committed a lot of penalties. I think some of them are ticky tack, but they still committed a lot of penalties. And I mean, everything that could go wrong for the chiefs went wrong. And I mean, kudos to everyone who picked the bucks and had Brady. Um, it, it was, it was simply a pick of, I don't want to bet against Tom Brady cause he's Tom Brady. Okay. Fair. And also you're betting that Tampa's front four. We're going to, we're going to abuse those inexperienced tackles in line. And, and it happened. I mean, that was, the, that was the formula, and it worked out. The formula for the Chiefs was the exact opposite, was the Chiefs' defense is playing actually a lot of really good football right now, and they get pressure without blitzing much, even though they do blitz a lot. But they have Chris Jones coming after the interior to get Tom Brady, who doesn't like interior pressure, and Steve Spagnuolo with all of his unique exotic blitzes coming from different angles and the coverage from the chiefs the secondary was playing the best football ever that was a formula for kansas city didn't play out that way not at all i mean they, they were they were bad and a lot of, again a lot of, travis kelsey dropped a couple of passes um there was that one crazy play where mahomes was you know perpendicular that ball should have been caught hit off the guy's helmet um uh, I, and, and another like, I, one i think tyree kill dropped Going back to that one where uh, where Mahomes is perpendicular to the ground, um, I know I'm hyperbolic, and I know I, but like I, I, I truly believe this. That that is maybe the best throw in football history. Like that's not Patrick Mahomes is the only person that has ever lived that can do that. 
That is that that was so impressive. Like it, cuz it's not like it's not like oh he he just like he just threw it sidearm as he was falling. He was literally completely off the ground. No part of his body was touching the ground. And it was like he did kind of like an underhand like sort of a kind of like a shortstop thrown to a second baseman except he threw it with a with velocity. Lots of like too much velocity for his for the running back to handle it. Um, well, yeah, what makes it a great play is because the he put it in a perfect spot. I mean, the ball placement was great, and that's what makes it. I mean, there are plenty of quarterbacks that could that could that could attempt throws and get them off, but I don't know how many could actually put it where they want to put it. Uh, I mean, Josh Allen. I mean, there's a, I mean, falling down and going perfect. People can sidearm balls all the time. It's just can can you be accurate with it? And like that, I think that's that's what makes it different. But it's crazy though, because everyone has seen like that still screenshot of, of him like hovering in the air while the ball is still in his hands. Go back and watch the play live. He is not in the air for very long. He is tripping and falling, and he's right, yeah, somehow and it's, like it's 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 incredible body control to make sure that he keeps his his knees up above the ground, so he's he's not down before he lets the ball go. I mean, yeah, it's. He's a, I think people make fun of this all the time, too, on, on Twitter and whatnot. Or maybe it was the, that Joey Molinaro guy that I think is pretty funny that does stuff for Barstool now and he has impressions. But he did a, a video where he's, like, walking around like Patrick Mahomes, like, around the huddle. And, like, he, Mahomes kind of, like, waddles around. Like, he's super unathletic and, like, out of shape and fat. And then the ball is snapped, and he's, like, the most flexible, bendy, athletic, ridiculous quarterback you've ever seen. So it's almost – and I think there is a quote – in the pre the pregame process about how uh, was it Todd Bowles I think said something like don't don't be fooled by his uh, his like old man walk around. or something his old man walk yeah like it's it's something he does to make the defense kind of feel like they got him and then all of a sudden the ball snapped and he's good so it's it's like whenever he had that toe issue against the Browns or whatever that was it's like yeah I mean yeah I, I'm I'm not saying he wasn't hurt but maybe he wasn't as hurt as he looked because apparently he always kind of makes it look like he's a little banged up so. Maybe the opposing team didn't take them takes them a little more lightly than they they normally would. So it's just, uh, but it, it's kind of crazy though that he. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. You watched a lot more Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes than me. I didn't really watch any of it. Was a lot of that? It looked like he was playing back at Texas Tech when they were trailing by a lot and just running for his life. Yeah, yeah. I saw. Some, I, I kind of saw some funny tweets, like because like uh, or like people like quoting tweets because uh, I think someone said something along the lines of like, man. Patrick Mahomes hasn't looked this overwhelmed since he's been, you know, the quarterback of the Chiefs. It's crazy. I think like a college football writer responded like, "Yes, Patrick Mahomes hasn't looked this overwhelmed since checks note check notes his entire career at Texas Tech, where he had to carry the team on his back." <laughs> yeah, I want to give credit to that guy because I retweeted him, uh, Alex Kirshner. That was really funny. That's that was really From- funny, really really funny. Um, really but, you know, obviously I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Tom Brady. Um, we're clearly Tom Brady is like I, I he's he's to the point now where I after he is like long gone and dead and what Tom Brady is a is a mythical figure. Like I, I think in our in, in our culture and in the sports culture going forward. What he's doing, uh, what he's done, this will never be replicated. Um, and I, I just, I, I, I've been a guy in the past who has who has said that Tom Brady by far has the best resume uh, in the NFL history, and no one, will, no one is is ever gonna 
uh, upstage that probably ever. Um, but I've also I've also said that I think there are quarterbacks that have played the position at a higher level than he has over the course of their careers, and those two guys are Peyton Manning and Patrick Mahomes. Um, I it, it's every it's getting harder and harder to have that opinion every single year. Um, Tom Brady's an alien. He's not normal. What he's done is not normal. Um, the way that he still wins games is I. I I know it's a cliche, but you just know that he does so many things to win a game that does not show up in a box score. Um, and I, I think it's it's pretty clear at this point in time, Tom Brady is the best team sport athlete uh, in the history of humanity. Um, and that I think that's that's cool. We're living through that right now. That's different than than like than physical athlete, which is LeBron James is the most athletic person who has ever walked the earth. Um, but Tom Brady is the greatest team sport athlete that that we've ever seen and probably will ever see. Um, and he's 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 like at Jim Thorpe, um, Michael Jordan levels of of like of myth and mythical. He is just um, he's going to win another Super Bowl. He's not done. He's going to win another one. Like, and I I I don't know how long he's going to go, but would it surprise anyone if he plays another four or five years at this clip? Like, I, he's he's almost like a perfect human. Hopefully, I'm the only person that has this opinion, but I, I, I find all the Tom Brady discussion and talk incredibly boring. It's the most. It's it's the next next thing to Jordan versus uh, LeBron, because I at this and it's the same th- reason why I hate like debating who the best quarterback ever is. Like, I, they're just they're really good. Tom Brady's the best ever. Sure, I, I don't. You don't need me to tell me stats. You don't. I I don't. I don't. I don't care. I. It's obvious by now. It's not even really worth discussing. I will discuss it in this in this form that's kind of different because you brought up Peyton Manning. Uh, another reason why I thought the Chiefs were going to win this game is I was getting flashbacks uh, before this kickoff, obviously. I was thinking back to when Manning and the Broncos in that Super Bowl against the Seahawks. I was thinking back to that, and I remember thinking, man, I, I, I was all in on the Broncos because the Seahawks run cover three, very simple. Peyton Manning's this high cerebral quarterback. He's going to be able to, to pick apart this generic press cover three defense, the Seahawks run, and they got their ass kicked. And I remember thinking like, oh, all right, well, old quarterback against like upstart young team. Like it's going to happen again. Kansas City's going to – it's going to actually – I mean, they're going to win this game. I mean, I thought Kansas City was going to at least win by a touchdown, but I thought – I was thinking – I almost thought – I was almost going to bet that Kansas City was going to win by two or two-plus touchdowns. Like it was going to be kind of very similar to that game. Nope. Other way around. And that's – if you want to – you can't you can't defend Peyton Manning anymore, and it's going to come down to something that's totally non-football: taking care of your body. And Tom Brady is taking care of his body a lot better than Peyton Manning did. I mean, Peyton Manning's arm deteriorated; it went away. Tom Brady can still fling it. Yeah, his arm I, is still I, great. Yeah, he can make I, I want to clarify still. what I said. That's my, the difference. Yeah, my argument is the when Peyton Manning's best was better than Tom Brady's best. That's that's what I'm saying. Um Tom Brady clearly has like what what makes Tom Brady so impressive is that in the second half of his career he became like that stone cold killer. The guy who was going to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns on you. Um and he he was he was kind of that in the first half of his career. Just didn't he was but but was more of a game manager most of the time. Um it's it's just crazy how he reinvented his career. And uh, especially in the second half of his career, 
he didn't have any good receivers. He never had any good receivers. Um, ex- well, except for Gronk, who is the best tight end in league yeah. history. But um, yeah, I, the guy is um, Tom Brady is just is just a really impressive human being, and I I just kind of wanted to to pay to pay that lip service. And the other you got to get going. You're out. You got a battery. Okay, um, we'll save it for later. I was going to talk about uh, the whole real quick about the Brady Belichick thing, which I have a I have a take on that maybe is a little different than maybe what you've heard, but I'll, I'll save it for later. Um, all right, so Grant's running out of battery. Got a hard out. This gosh, I did not. I thought for sure this would be like an hour podcast. We went better normal time again. Um, plan on every other week again, guys and gals. Um, if anything changes, we'll let you know. Uh, I guess for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. <laughs>